Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want to continue in our series that we have launched this year, Middle Management. Middle management, learning to uh, find health and wholeness uh, in our lives means that we have to uh, look at our soul realm. Keep your finger in Philippians chapter 3, but let me take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, it's kind of our foundational verse uh, for this series. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, now may the God of peace, anybody want to experience peace, right? We want to, I mean, all these things that we talk about, peace and joy and happiness, and all these things are found in God. Did you know that there's a God of peace? It's no wonder we have trouble finding peace when we haven't found God. He's the God of peace. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 16, in the world, you're promised to find trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. He said, in the world, you'll have trouble, but in me, you'll have peace in him. What happens is, is a lot of times we try to find peace aside from God. It's amazing the lengths that we'll go to for peace and joy and, and prosperity and wealth so that we don't have to go through God. Because a lot of times going through God means that he goes through your stuff. <laughs> he starts rifling through, well, you know, uh, you might be at peace if you let go of this relationship. Oh, God, don't start touching my stuff. I want peace, but I want this too. I want peace, but I want that. And so we don't want, you know, God messing with our stuff. We just want all the stuff that he has. And so he says, may the God of peace. So I'm going to find, you know, many times we want the peace of God. But he's saying, you find God, you find peace. Not aside from God, not apart from God, but through God. And may he sanctify you. What's that next word? Completely. Wholeness. Not part ways. God wants you to be whole. God wants you to be complete. God wants you to be healthy in every aspect of your life. There's not one area of your life that God doesn't want to touch. There's not one area of your life that God wants to leave uncovered or undone. He wants to get engaged and involved in every aspect of my life. That means my spirit, may your whole spirit, soul, and body. We've discovered that we are a three-part being. We are a spirit being. You are a spirit. What you see sitting here in this room today is not what is not who you really are. That's a flesh suit that's wrapping 
Your spirit, man. There's a spirit, man, on the inside. I see children in here. There are spirit beings inside of these children. You know that they can receive right now. As young as they are, as small as they are. Maybe even as disengaged on the outside, but there's a spirit man on the outside, on the inside, that's hungry and receiving and drawing from what I'm saying today. It's not limited to intellect. It's not limited to my mind capacity to receive. It's not limited by those things. That spirit is receiving. There's a spirit. There's a soul and there's a body. May they be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, spirit, soul, and body. So we've taken the beginning of this year to engage, if you will, with the, the, the middle ground, the middle man, and learning to manage what's in the middle. Learning to manage my mental capacity. Learning to manage my will, what I want to do, and learning to manage my my. Uh, uh, my feelings and my emotions. This is the thing. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, if you do not manage them, they will manage you. It requires management. Management never ends. It never ends. From the time you come into this earth until the time that you leave, you will always be in middle management. You will always have to manage What's in the middle? You will always be responsible for managing your emotions, managing your feelings, managing your will and your desires, and managing your mind, your intellect, your mental capacity. That's up to you, and that is nobody else's responsibility. Man, it's dangerous when we leave our emotions up to someone else. Man, that's, a, that's, a, that's an exhausting way to live. When, when my desires are dictated by external indicators. That's not a great way to live. When my mind or my thoughts, I mean, you look at the Bible. I I, I remember uh, in a a conference a couple years ago, um, I was on a panel of people asking questions and this one individual asked the question, how uh, can I get God to renew my mind? How can I get God uh, to, to change my thoughts? I've been praying and, and, and man, I just want God to come in and just take a hold of my thoughts. How, how can I do that? And I said, you don't. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that God will come down and change your thoughts. But every time your mind is, is talked about or spoken of, it's talked about with you being the one responsible for it. The Bible tells me to set my thoughts. The Bible tells me to fix my thoughts. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Colossians chapter 3. Even the verse that the individual quoted, Romans chapter 12, in renewing your mind, that is on me. The, the, the context of that verse is that you will set your mind. You will renew your mind. You, God will give you what to renew your mind to, but ultimately you are in charge of where your thought life goes. You're in charge of what you think on. In Philippians chapter four, Paul writes, Whatever things are true, 
Whatever things are noble, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. He's got this whole list. And then he says, think on these things. That's you. The Bible tells us that we are to have the mind of Christ. That's on me. So our soul realm is no one else's responsibility but mine. My soul is mine to manage. Look at your neighbor and say, it's mine to manage. It's mine to manage. And so what happens is, is we have forfeited this health. We have forfeited this wholeness. You know, your, your soul comes with indicators. Uh, it's much like a vehicle. Uh, it's much like a vehicle. Uh, you know, those lights that show up on the dashboard, all you women that you ignore, you, you don't pay attention. It says check engine soon. Ah, it's been there for six months. Okay, uh, why are we having this problem? What is going on? There's a reason why the light has shown up. The light is indicating there's a problem and our souls have check engine lights. Our, our souls, but how many times do we just blow past the red flags? You know, the Holy Spirit, I, I tell people, uh, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if I'm addressing something, counseling something, uh, you know, giving some, some counsel or guidance in an area, I always tell them this. I say, I'm the second one to address this. And the reason why I'm addressing it is because you blew right past the Holy Spirit who's been throwing up red flags and been throwing up check engine soon lights and you just haven't been paying attention. So now the mechanic had to come in and say, all right, here's the problem. Here's what I'm seeing. But somebody else has already been talking to you. If a pastor, if a friend, uh, if a neighbor, if a spouse, if, if somebody is being brought into the picture, it's because you blew right past the one living inside of you, the guide, the leader, the, the, the person that he's speaking to, the person of the whole, and he doesn't scream and he doesn't yell and he doesn't say, oh, wait, hold on. He says, hey, how you talk to them? Is that how we should talk to them? Is that fruit of my spirit or is that fruit of something else? That, 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 that uh, root of offense that's showing up there. If somebody on the outside is showing you that there is a, a root of bitterness or an offense, uh, they're the second ones. I remember there was one time I had uh, my best friend confront me about an issue. It never feels good to get confronted. It never feels good to get corrected. Uh, but hey, if I would have listened to the Holy Spirit on the inside, he'd never have to have a conversation with me in the middle of Chick-fil-A while our kids are playing off in the playground. And then I'd never have to have this feeling of who do you think you are? Who do you think you are telling me how, uh, you know, you don't even know me. You don't, you don't see me day in and day out. You don't know what's going on. But then this individual is sitting down across the table with me with coffee and hash browns in front of us and saying, hey, I've been noticing how you've been treating uh, so and so, and um, you know, is there something going on? I want to be able to help you, but but I I think there might be an issue here. And thank God I had the maturity to listen, shut my mouth for a moment, and not try to respond back. Excuse what what huh what? Okay, yeah. What are you seeing? What are you saying? Then at the end of the conversation? Yeah, you're right. You're right. 
not trying to call me out. He didn't put it on Facebook. Pastor Mark's been doing da 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 da. No. And it wasn't even some grave and crazy sin. You know, sometimes uh, uh, the, the warnings in our lives are so we don't end up somewhere. It, 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 you know, I want to let you know when you're headed on a path that's going to get you to destruction, not when you end up in destruction. Where's the bridge out sign? Right? I mean, that's the last thing you want is to end up at the end of a bridge that there, there is no more road and you go back and there was nothing indicating that something was coming up. No, there's warnings. There's signs. And they show up in our soul. But when we're not healthy, the problem is our soul becomes the lens. Our soul becomes the filter. Uh, when we, we, we don't properly have our emotions in line, we don't have our will and our desires, it doesn't matter what I'm feeding your spirit. Are you hearing me? It doesn't matter. I've talked, I've counseled people. They know scripture. They throw it back at me. They tell me the scriptures. Just like the devil told Jesus scriptures. That don't mean anything. That means absolutely nothing if the scripture's not applied, if the scripture's not in action in your life. You can tell me all the scriptures you want. Are you doing it? Are you living it? And a lot of the times our, our soul realm is what's limiting the health of our lives. We go to church, we sing the songs, we lift our hands, we, we, we have the godly friends, but then our soul is still in this, this area. Our soul is still in a, in a red zone where it's damaged. It's, it's not able to filter what God is really saying and what God is really doing. The first week we took a look at a man named Naaman. And Naaman uh, was excusing what he should have been exposing. Naaman was a man that he had all the armor. He had all the accolades. He, he looked good on the outside, man. But, but underneath, underneath all that armor was leprosy, something decaying, something eating away at him, something that was tearing him apart. But if he put on enough armor, if he got enough stripes, if he won enough battles, nobody would notice the leprosy. But eventually the leprosy would eat away. And if he did not expose it, it would expose him. And so he went to the man of God and we saw that he went to the man of God with his idea of healing. Isn't that how we usually do? When we, we say, God, help me, fix me, you know, come and do something miraculous. But then we have our idea of how he's going to do it. And then we tell God how to do it. And that's what Naaman did. Naaman went to the man of God. But he went with his money and he went with his chariots and he went with his stuff and, 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 and look at what I got. I'll be able to buy this miracle. I've, I, if anybody's getting a miracle, it's me. I've got what it takes to, to get what I need from God. And, 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 and the instruction was to go dip in a dirty river because he was used to doing the great things, but he wasn't used to doing the small things. And so the obedience factor uh, really determines what level of healing you want. You can tell real quick how bad people want a miracle or change or healing in their life by what they're willing to obey God in doing. 
And we started out the year by saying that in 2019, maybe what God wants to do in your life this year isn't something that's above you, but maybe it's something that you think is below you. Maybe it's talking to somebody that you haven't talked to for in, talked to in years. Maybe it's, it's asking forgiveness from someone that you think should be asking for forgiveness from you. Maybe it's, 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 it's giving something away that you think is rightfully yours. I don't know what it is. That's the instruction of the Lord. But we cannot tell God how I'm going to receive my miracle in 2019. It won't work. You'll receive from God on the level that you're willing to obey and put your life under his submission. We saw in the second week, the woman at the well, that uh, what we draw with many times reveals where we're drawing from. And so we have to consider the source. Where are you going for peace? Where are you going for healing? Where are you going for deliverance? And what are you drawing with? What are you using to draw? And, 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 the, and the thing is, is, is the things that you are running to sources and places to get, God wants to put in you and make you a source. You know that God wants you to be a source of peace for someone else? And not always having to run to other people and situations and, 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 and all the things in our lives that we run to. But, but God wants to send people to you and say, you help them find peace. You help them find joy. You help them find deliverance. But many times we're running around chasing the things that should be chasing us. We, found out, we find ourselves so depleted and so deficient that I can't give away peace. I've barely got it myself. I can't help someone else find joy. I'm, I'm angry at the world myself. I'm fearful and, and anxious my, myself. And so how can I give away what I don't have? And so Jesus told that woman that I'm gonna give you rivers of living water. And then in the third week, we saw in James chapter 1 and John chapter 16 and Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just going through this quickly as a recap. James 1, John 16, and Hebrews 12, we saw that uh, my joy and my peace uh, and, 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 and the, my outlook on life is my responsibility. We saw that he uh, tells us in James, count it all joy when you fall into trials. I don't know about you, but I normally don't go to trials looking for joy. But what a perspective change. That the next trial that hits my life, I could say, maybe this is where my joy is at. Or maybe I could do this when I go into a, a, a precarious situation or all hell breaks loose or something happens in my life that, that is contrary, I know is contrary to the plan of God for my life, I can say, I will have peace going into this, not coming out of it. But that's what he's trying to tell us, is you set your joy. He's saying, be a thermometer not a thermostat. He's asking, are you a thermometer? Are you just going with the flow? That's what a thermometer does. A thermometer tells you 
what the temperature is. A thermostat sets it. And so God wants us to be in the earth as thermostats. We set what if I will be at joy, I will be at peace, I will be full of, of the glory of God, regardless of what's going on around me. And if my situation is dictating what's, if what's going on around me is dictating what's going on within me, that's not how God designed me to be. That's not how God designed me to live. Amen. And so here in Philippians chapter three now, I wanna go into week four. I want to minister to you about gaining confidence. Gaining confidence. And I want to read this to you and then we'll just follow the Spirit and see where he wants to go. Verse one, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Remember, he's writing this from a prison cell. And so he's saying, you don't rejoice in situations and you don't rejoice when everything is going right. You rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord and then everything else follows that. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. He says in verse two, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Again, he says it, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have, watch this, no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. I wanna stop right there. And I just wanna identify first off that in our world today and in our culture today, we have a very high value for confidence. And one thing I've learned about confidence is you can look confident and and looking confident actually trumps your ability of, of, you know, what level of ability you have at doing something. You ever notice that, that people that just look confident, they, they know how to put on confidence and they might not have any clue what they're doing. Uh, they may not have any idea uh, of, of, of exactly, you know, one thing that, that bothers me, um, triggers me, I guess you could use the word trigger. That's a, that's a good relevant term these days. I was triggered. One thing that triggers me is when I've put in a lot of hard work to learn how to do something right. And somebody shows up that has no clue what they're doing and can just get it done like that. That bothers me. It's one thing that triggers me. I remember, man, I've played baseball all my life. I mean, my, my dad was a huge uh, baseball fan. He's from New York, so he grew up a, a Mets fan. And um, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. We had the Texas Rangers right there. And, and so we went to games every year, and I just loved baseball. Played it since I think seven or eight years old, I started playing. And um, then when I got into high school, I got really serious about it and um, kind of let everything else go and focused on just getting good at baseball. And man, I'd stay hours after practice uh, pitching at a, into this little uh, 
thing that had a little basket in it for the strike zone and I'd try to pitch into that thing and 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 you know I would just put hours into it and and for me I learned a lot by just watching so I would watch things and then imitate or try to do or you know try to you know I I don't do really well with being told what to do, but I can watch somebody and just pick it up. And so I got really good. I remember we had church softball down uh, in St. Augustine, Florida, at Anchor Faith Church down there. And, and uh, they knew that I loved baseball, so they asked me to coach it and, and do all this. And the one thing that I could never do, for whatever reason, never figured it out, uh, by now I've, I've, I've just given up on it and given it to God. Uh, back then it used to bother me really bad, but I could never hit it over the fence. And I'd make excuses like, well, you know, they're just not pitching it fast enough and the velocity of the ball coming in. And, and, and I had all these excuses and nobody on our, no, you know, me and maybe two other guys were, were pretty, uh, uh, you know, uh, good, I guess, at, at baseball, knew what we were doing. And the rest uh, uh, of them, you know, we had to show them what was going on. I mean, we were the sorriest team. We, we looked good. We had jerseys, man. We had logos. Austin remembers. But winning, <laughs> remember those days? Oh, man. And Derek Norman, good old country boy from Stark, Florida. Never played a day of baseball in his life, and you knew it by looking at him and by watching him throw. I said, oh, Lord, what have you sent to us? <laughs> this is not going to be our day. Derek Norman, man, I remember just the most awkward batting stance you ever see in your life. I mean, I'm thinking, lucky this guy's even going to make contact. And we're in a game one time, and the ball comes in, and, man, just the ugliest swing in the world, and he hits it over the fence. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. And the whole dugout's just going crazy. We hit a home run. Derek's going crazy. Now, in softball, this is how bad it was. In softball, when you hit a home run, you go to first, you go back to the dugout. He ran the whole bases. (laughs) Ran the bases. Like, we're having a, you don't need to run the, enjoy it, man, go for it. And he comes back to the dugout and everyone's going crazy and, and I'm just over there like, you gotta be kidding me. Are you serious right now? Oh man, Pastor Mar wasn't that awesome, man. He, you know, I'm like, oh, whatever, I don't, I don't even care, whatever. I don't wanna hear about it. Don't even know, I, I'm over there critiquing it. Didn't, didn't even put a, didn't even step into it, nothing behind it. You know, I mean, he was on his front leg, not his back leg. I'm over here who cares? The guy hit a home run. I never did. That, that, that triggers me. That, that, that bugs the mess out of me. When someone just steps in and does something and, I, you know, I've been putting all this effort, I can't even get it done, and then this just happens. You know, it almost triggers me as bad as when someone says, I saw the movie, it wasn't as good as the book. Get away from me. They, wrote, they made the movie for the people that didn't read the book. <laughs> don't have time to read Lord of the Rings. The movie was long enough. 
God, it's three hours to watch the movie. What is it to read it? Oh, my gosh. Just a little soapbox. Little, little triggers. You got them, too. But confidence, man, confidence is, is of a high premium today. We, we want to, if, if, we had, if we don't have any clue what we're doing, we at least want to look like we know what we're doing. And, and now we are given more avenues and given more opportunities to look confident without being competent. I don't have to be competent. I can just look confident and I can display it on screens and people can follow me and see me. And, and, you know, it took me 18 pictures to get it right, but here's the one that I know is going to make me look the best. And, and in reality, we know we go back home with the one that's not competent. We go back home with the one that knows I don't really have it together, but as long as I can project an image that looks like I have it together, I can boast about it and, and I can be confident in myself and, and I can display confidence. And I heard somebody say one time, they said, the cost of false confidence is ignorance. The cost of false confidence is ignorance. And that's really where we live today is in a false confidence. Like I know what I'm doing, but I don't. And I can play the part. I heard a minister say one time that uh, another minister had told him in Bible school, you know, he was asking, well, how, you know, some of these words in the Bible I really struggle with. And uh, the other minister said, it's okay. Just say it like you know what you're talking about. Nobody will ever know the difference. You can butcher it up all you want. Nobody's going to argue with you because you sound like you know what you're talking about. But we can live that way with our lives. And Paul here, what he's talking about is he's going out and ministering the gospel. But these individuals called Judaizers are coming in behind him and preaching a false gospel, a false message. And now he's in prison. He can't do anything about it. What kind of, that, that's a terrible situation. I've preached to these people. I've invested my life, poured my life, and now I'm locked away in prison. And now these other people are coming along and preaching against what I'm preaching. And the people are buying into it. And, and, and he actually uses this word uh, in verse two, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. He's not talking about them very highly. He says, beware of the mutilation. What the argument here got brought up was the, the matter of circumcision. And that these individuals are coming in and saying that you had to be circumcised. If you really want to be of the covenant, if you really want to be of, uh, uh, you know, going to these Gentiles that obviously were not circumcised, it wasn't their ritual, wasn't their practice. And what are they doing? They are looking at the external factors. And what Paul was preaching was, it's not external things that make you right. It's what you do with the internal things. It's how you, how you allow God to transform your heart. And then the external things will happen as a product of that. But these guys are coming in saying, no, no, no. You gotta be circumcised. You gotta do this. 
And so Paul calls them mutilators. I mean, he's kind of using a parody here, just a little play on words, that they're asking grown adult men to go circumcise yourselves if you really want to be right with God. He says in verse three, we are the circumcision who, watch this, three things, worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, you, you really want to be of God's nature? It's not by what you do on the outside, it's what you do on the inside. It's, it's, it's about worshiping God in spirit where you can't see. Rejoicing in Christ Jesus, even when there's no reason to rejoice, you still find a reason to rejoice and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Why? I was circumcised the eighth day. I was circumcised when you were supposed to, is what he's saying. I'm of the stock of Israel. I was born into it. These guys, they are not the product I am. He says, I'm even of the tribe. So I'm, I'm of God's people, Israel. And then on top of that, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Might not mean a lot to you, but the tribe of Benjamin, that, some kings came out of there. Tribe of Benjamin was an important tribe. God's hand was on that tribe. God's hand was on that group of people. He's saying, I, I was circumcised from the beginning. I'm all, I was born into God's people. I had this as part of my heritage. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Watch this, concerning the law of Pharisee. The Pharisee was the strictest order of the law. They were the ones that held to the law stronger than anybody else greater than anybody else. He's saying, if, if anybody's gonna boast, I can. Verse six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. What's he saying? He's saying, I was so hard after my passion and after what I did, I did it so hard that I was even taking out Christians, taking out believers to continue doing what I was doing. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless, I held this book to the T. He's given his resume here. In verse seven, he says, but what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. I think our soul becomes compromised when we have our confidence in the wrong place. Our soul becomes compromised when we have our confidence in the wrong place. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Genesis one, verse 26, kind of shows us in order of things. You can keep your finger there in Philippians chapter three. Genesis chapter one, taken all the way to the back. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the year and over the cattle, over all the earth 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He says, let us make man, this is God speaking, in our image according to our likeness. What we find interesting about this passage, this is the design for man. This is God putting man into motion. And what God does is he creates who you are before he tells you what to do. I said he creates and gives you identity who you are before he gives you assignment what to do. But what we have done in our day and age and in our culture is we have allowed our assignment to determine our identity. What I do tells you who I am. I'm halfway through my 30s now. I'm 35, will be 36 in a few months. And and I wish I would have figured this out in my 20s because I've spent pretty much all of my 20s and the most of my 30s thinking that life was what is life was composed of what I do. Young adults, youth in this room, you're getting a head start because I'm going to tell you today Life is more about who you are and less about what you do. I got some amens from the adults because they have figured it out. I mean, that just causes us to reevaluate a lot of what our life is composed of because we've spent our life doing. We've spent our life gaining. We've spent our life adding to. We've spent our life educating. We've spent our life getting more money. If I could just get this amount of money, if I could drive this kind of car, if I could live in this kind of house, if I could do this and get this and have this. And God is saying, your life is about being. You are a human being before you are a human doing. It's, who about, it's about who you become less than, less of what you do. But our, I mean, our, you know, that's not popular in today's culture. The world will push what you're gonna do. Parents, if we could raise our children with the thought of who, it's, it's more important What kind of spouse your child's going to be than who they marry? It's more important what kind of student you're going to be than what school you go to. It's more important what kind of employee you're going to be than where you're going to work. You see in the pattern here. God gives you identity before he gives you assignment. It's amazing the places that we look for success. It's amazing the places that we look for confidence. I'm reading a book right now uh, written to pastors and ministers and to leaders and, and the the the. The whole book is about how leaders have to be healthy if they're going to lead healthy churches. We've heard the statement, I've told our leadership many times, that our focus as a church is not church growth, it's church health, because healthy things grow. 
Well, it goes the same for my life. My focus ought to be health, not growth. My own personal ventures, my own personal life, the, 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 Statistics are staggering for ministers that quit. 1,500 pastors quit every month in America. More pastors are quitting than are starting in America right now in this day and age. And that statistic has more than doubled since 1975. 1975, it was around maybe four or 500 quitting. Now we're up to 1,500 pastors stepping out of ministry permanently. I think it was some 60% of pastors would quit ministry today if they had another way of making money. They just don't have another alternative. They are literally stuck in the pulpit. Just giving you statistics. For ministers, 30% of ministers contemplate suicide or have anxiety beyond just physical exhaustion. This is in ministry, doing the Lord's work. And the individual that wrote this book is reciting these statistics and his reasoning for these really lousy statistics is that simply... We are, we are using the wrong measuring sticks to base our success and confidence in. He said, I know ministers that have uh, had churches in the tens of thousands, but were committing uh, uh, um, uh, adultery against their spouse for five years while having a successful church. At the same time, I know small town pastors of churches, 200 or less, that live holy, pleasing God, uh, lives unto God. Which one is more successful? You see where I'm going is that our confidence being in the wrong place compromises my soul. It compromises my health. It compromises my thoughts. It compromises my will and my desire and my pursuits. It compromises my emotions and my feelings. Having confidence in the wrong place. Paul is saying, look, if you wanna boast about fleshly confidence, if you wanna talk about what I've gained in the flesh, I've got it, man. I've got a resume that trumps all your resumes. But there's one thing. I count all that I've gained as loss. I worked for a bank for about five years and a big thing in the banking world is debits and credits. It's really how you determine net worth and that's how you determine what you have left over is you line up your debits and you line up your credits, you line up your assets and you line up your liabilities. And what Paul is saying is he says, I took everything that I thought was an asset and I moved it into the liability column. All the things I thought I had gained, all the things that I thought I had my confidence and, and that dictated my success, I had them in the assets. But then when I met Christ, I moved them over to the liabilities. It was actually costing me. My fleshly confidence, looking confident, projecting confidence, 
but on the inside, really broken, hurting. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus talks about this. Mark chapter eight. I want to read this to you in the, in the New Living, starting with verse 34. In the New Living Translation, Mark 8, verse 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Look what he says. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What does it benefit? If I have all this natural, external success, what have I really gained? Can I really put it in the asset column? Can I really count it as being added to my life if it cost me my soul? Because everything in life, anything that you gain has a cost to it. Nothing's free. It costs you something. See, we, we look across the aisle and we see the person with the money and the wealth and the prosperity and the business that's flourishing. And we say, man, that's, that's what I need. That's the success I'm looking for. But you don't realize... That on the inside, they're saying, I am the lousiest dad on the planet. Spending so much time at this job, trying to keep a living, and I'm not even there for my kids. What's your measuring stick? What's determining success for you? And whatever is determining success for you is also costing you. You may not have all the money in the bank, but you're spending time with your kids and you're instilling in them. Come on now. You've got to determine what you're willing to pay the price in. You've got to determine what you're willing to put in the asset column or what you're willing to put into the liability column. If we go back over to Philippians chapter three, What does it benefit? You gain the whole world and lose his soul. Uh, You go ahead and go to Philippians 3, finishing in Mark chapter 8, verse 37. In the New King James, he says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you ever done that? Made that exchange? Exchanged your soul? Come on, we we hear that term all the time. I sold my soul to the devil, but we do this all the time. 
We compromise our soul. We compromise our emotions. We compromise the health and our well-being for something external, something that we think success is measured by, something that we think my confidence rests in. But, but, but Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter three, starting with verse seven, but these things that were gained to me, they were in, in the asset column, I now count as a loss for Christ. So I move the thing that was in the asset column to the liability column, but now I've put Christ in the asset column. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. At the end, when you stand before Jesus and he's taken an account of what's in your asset column and what's in your liability column, all you need in the asset column is Christ. All you need in the asset column is Jesus. He's not looking for a certain bank account. He's not looking for a certain level of friends. He's not looking for success in the natural. He's not looking for a degree on the wall. He's not looking for prominence and fame. He's looking for, did you serve me? Serve me with your whole heart. Even if it costs you, even if it's hard, even if persecution came, even if trials and tribulations came as a result. You stayed with me. That's all I need in the asset column when I stand before Jesus. He says that I may gain Christ, verse nine, and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him, we've heard this verse, and the power of his resurrection. For the longest time, when I heard pastors and preachers read this verse, I thought there was a period there because that's where they stopped. They didn't go any further, but there's more to the story that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen, hallelujah. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his, what? Death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, because I can't be resurrected until I die. There's no resurrection if you don't acknowledge the death. What's he saying? Watch this. Now I've taken all the things out of my asset column that I thought were liabilities. All the things that I gained 
that I thought were pluses and that I built my success and confidence in and I moved them and realized that they are just losses, that they really don't count, they really don't count and don't matter. But now what's he saying? Watch this. Now he's moving things that he thought were liabilities and he's moving them into the asset column. All the things you lost because you decided to follow Christ. All the people that left you because you stayed with God. All the challenges that you thought were reducing you and taking away your worth were actually just adding worth and adding value. And the things that I thought were losses, now I find out really were gains for Christ. Now that's something else. Because I've been going through this life thinking if this didn't happen, and if that would have, if those people would have stayed, and if I wouldn't have lost this, and if I would have would, would, would have kept that business going, and, and if, if I would have had a better year, and if I would have had more accomplishments, and, and, and if I could have held that thing together, and if my kids wouldn't have wandered off, and now God is saying, look, all the things you thought you gained, you can count it as loss, but all the things that you lost, you can count it as a gain. It has made something in you. It has added something to you. You're now greater in me. You didn't gain your confidence because it all worked out. You gained your confidence in me. You didn't, weren't successful because everybody else thought you were successful. You were successful because you lost it and you stayed with me. That's the kind of confidence I want. That's the kind of success he's looking for. When you stand before him, your asset and liability columns may look a lot different than what you've been working your entire life for. Worship team, if you come. Let me read it to you in the New Living, Philippians chapter three. It's on the screen behind me. Verse one, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, the people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. That's what I thought my assets were. That's where I thought my success lied all the things that I had accumulated, all the things that I added, all the things that I worked so hard in my own fleshly confidence and ability. 
I once thought these things were valuable, but now, now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, receive heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus, is calling us all. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. God is wanting to renew your idea of assets and liabilities today. God is wanting to create a new chart, if you will, a new path. Paul goes on to say, that I am forgetting those things that lie behind. Let me tell you something. Success has stalled just as many people as loss. Success has defeated just as many people as failure has. Making it Becoming something, looking like you have it all together, false confidence has robbed just as many people as no confidence. And today, I want us to put confidence in its place. Today, I want us to get confident where God wants us to get confident. Confident that through the trials, He's still with me. Confident that even though it didn't work out, I'm still here. Confident that all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Confident that even in my death, I can receive the life that God has, that there is no resurrection until something has died. That's the confidence He wants you to have today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.